When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello, welcome to Going Off Track. Hello. How are you, Brad? I'm good. I'm very good. I'm uh, about ready for lunch. Yeah? Yeah. I just had a huge bagel from Kosar's. Yes, you did. So I'm not going to be eating for a while. Mm. feel it expanding in my stomach. You as do? As speak, yeah. Those are good bagels. They're very good bagels. There used to be a great deli in this neighborhood, a little further east where I used to rehearse that... Um, had really good bagels and really good chicken salad. And that would be my, every day before rehearsal, I'd get everything bagel with chicken salad on it. Nice. It's really good. Yeah. The only thing that's tough is, you know, like if there's too much chicken salad and you bite the, and the bagels are kind of hard, you know? I mean, not hard, like in a bad way, but you know, they're not like soft bread. So they kind of, a lot of times they'd squeeze the chicken salad out. Gotcha. You got so it. You might end up with it in your lap. Yeah. But Delicious. I think I'm only talking about it because I'm hungry. <laughs> yeah. But there, you know, if you like bagels and you like chicken salad, put them together, babe. Yeah. Good combo. Yeah. Definitely a good combo. Uh, yeah. I, uh, I think we can just jump into today's guest, right? Is there anything else on your mind? Yeah. I mean, actually that place that I used to get those bagels yeah. was only about two blocks from where I actually met today's guest. Really? Yeah. Because I met him, I set up... He was doing his band was doing like a should we bunch just say who it is because I feel like this no, is... let everybody guess okay sorry his band was doing a his bunch band of rehearsals. was doing a bunch of rehearsals in the basement of Bowery Electric which is a friend of mine's club and they needed somebody to kind of set up the PA and stuff so they could rehearse with it and I did and they were fucking loud as shit and it like and they and they drank a lot of vodka during rehearsal I remember that okay. This all checks out. Uh, today's guest on the podcast, drum roll. <laughs> it is Eugene Hutz, singer for Gogo Bordello. Uh, and that is the band that was rehearsing in the basement. Yes, I can imagine them being loud. Um, they have uh, a brand new record that just came out in August. It is called Seekers and Finders. Um, and they are on the road supporting that. Um and this was a pretty wild podcast, I would say. Well, he's a wild guy. Eugene kind of rolled in, and we had just taped a podcast with Roger Murray, and Roger and Eugene are friends, and they were like, we're kind of on like a, a time schedule, and like Roger and Eugene were like hanging out and catching up and like taking all these photos together, and like Eugene has like his shirt open, was like smoking <laughs> cigarettes, and it was like, and I was like trying to like figure it out, and I was like, dude, there's no way I'm interrupting these yeah. guys. I'm being like, excuse me, we have to do like. So I, I just I like let things play out. It was fine, but it was like a very, it was a very surreal kind of like group of people all hanging out. It is totally surreal. I would not have guessed that those two guys knew each other. Although I yeah. guess I'm not yeah. surprised. They but. they seemed like yeah, they were super psyched, both of them. So that's what we do here, at going off track. We bring people together. And that happened at Pulse Music, where we record this yes. podcast. It happened at Pulse Music on West 29th Street. Um, check them out online. Um, if you want to book a session there, I highly recommend it. Mm. Um, if you like the way this podcast sounds, you can do a podcast there. Yeah, you could. Yeah. With Steven. With Steven. Stefan. Stefan Grywalski. <laughs> um, but yeah, so uh, yeah, uh, Eugene came by right before he was DJing some party. 
and uh, he mm-hmm. rolled in with a guitar, no case. That like was weird. Just he's just a really. Uh, he is like what like you listen to this interview like that's who this yeah, dude they, is. This like he's is... he really knows who he is. He's a really unique guy, and I think that's why he's been so successful. Is like he's really been into tap into something that that kind of draws people to him. Like whether it's Madonna or whoever, or, or and he has some crazy stories. You know, he's recorded with Steve Albini, Rick Rubin. Both his musical and his whole spiritual side. I don't know. The whole, he's a very, he's a cool guy. I had never met him before. Right. But Benny had known him because I believe they did some shows with Gaslight. Yeah. So uh, it was cool. Benny was there um, and they got to catch up. And yeah, this was just a super fun time. So enough talking about it. Let's get into it. Uh, this Going Off Track episode with Eugene Hutz. We rolling? Nice. We rolling. All right. Uh, Eugene, what's up? <laughs> um, staying strong, man. You know? Yeah. Hustling the streets. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that whole thing. <laughs> uh, do you still, are you still, obviously I know you're, you've lived in New York a long time. Do you still, are you still based here or you move around a lot or? I just rebased here. I was in Brazil for almost seven years beforehand. And uh, just decided to move back to the city that gave me everything. <laughs> <laughs> where, where are you living in Brazil? Rio de Janeiro. Oh, it's quite a town. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a magical place. I, I don't know how to explain it. It's just kind of uh, has everything that, you know, every other town doesn't have. <laughs> and then some. Yeah, I mean, they call it swinging London. Then you go to London, it's like, what? It's like this... <laughs> Incredibly uh, <laughs> non-swinging place. <laughs> <laughs> you, know? you go to Rio de Janeiro. It's like, oh, that's pretty f- swinging. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What lured you there? Well, perhaps I wasn't. It's kind of. It sounds. It will sound banal, but it was, of course, a woman. Oh. <laughs> you know, that's how it starts. And but to make it less banal. Even after we broke up, I continued living there. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Were you were you working on a lot of music stuff down there? I mean, was there like, did you have a studio down there? Or? Um. Yes. It ended up being pretty much like a full on fort of creativity for me in a lot of ways. I quickly met some really great people, and um, we. At its final stages, we almost had this kind of a cabin running where everybody who was coming to play Rock and Rio from our friends, we would make a track with them, kind of like the guests oh, of nice. Rio de Janeiro, Hoots, cabin recording, you know. So that was a lot of fun. Uh, just, you know, it was a, everybody who comes to Rio wants to make at least a song there, you know, and you catch them in a different mood. You know, the language is different. The lifestyle is completely different. And um, people did kind of uh, musically more adventurous things, I thought. You know? So I liked that whole thing. Plus, it was really not... uh, uh, It kind of had like a real more feeling of collaboration that way. As opposed to all these kind of like co-branding collaborations where nobody fucking meets each other. You know, just like send the track over the fucking internet and uh, right. featuring this and featuring that like yeah. um, like uh, <laughs> that kind of thing is not my that. thing really <laughs> yeah i can i can see you being that into that you know like uh, one of the really good ones that was uh, goran bregovich is um is a european composer and um very well known for his soundtracks to a lot of great films and um uh, he came down and we spent nearly to a week together, you know, just kind of having a different kind of flow of uh, collaboration, you know. There is local flavor, you know, there is there is, there is ocean, there is, um, you know, I mean, Brazil is pretty mind-blowing. So <clears throat> anybody who enters it just gets immediately their mind blown yeah. and <laughs> then they... <laughs> And then they're just transformed into somebody who is capable of different things, of, of new things, you know. 
So it was kind of like that. You know, I really enjoyed it. Nice. I always think about you, with, especially you with Steven. Oh, yeah. Um, I can never go with it. <laughs> well, because I, I worked at Fuse with Steven, I remember he had to go interview Madonna. Mm-hmm. And I was like, how'd the interview go? He's like, it was good. I, I named up Eugene, and she got super excited. And I was like, wow, that's like a big, she, that's a big move. She was ruthless to every other journalist there. <laughs> and I'm not a journalist. And so we went to sit down and talk. And I said, hey, by the way, I, and I just, uh, we briefly spoke a long time ago at uh, South by Southwest, mm-hmm. We're like in a parking lot. We talked for a little bit. And uh, so good to see you. And um, <laughs> then I did this Madonna interview. And at the beginning, I was like, hey, I just uh, met Eugene for the first time. She's like, oh, my gosh, I love Eugene. Can we just talk about him? <laughs> <laughs> and I went, yes. <laughs> and so the first half of this interview, we ended up recutting and putting on the show Jonah and I worked with, which was like, oh, by the way, here's Madonna talking about the next video you're going to see, which is Gogo uh, Go-Go Bordello video. And then I had the best time with Madonna, and I think Elvis Duran came up next, who's like the number one DJ in the United States, and she destroyed him. Like, you, you listen to it, it's, it's, she just ripped him to shreds. And I walked out going, I had a really nice time with her. She was right. delightful. So, hey, thanks. <laughs> well, yeah, she, she also came down to Rio twice, I think, mm-hmm. in the time when I was there. Uh, once with a tour and once with a certain like a favela social kind of support project. So, you know, I, I took her to the places that were kind of obscure, you know, that her security didn't want her to go. <laughs> oh, wow. What kind of crew does she roll around? Like when she goes to Brazil and she goes to like hang out with someone, like what kind of posse is she coming with? Well, there's... Um, I think it's her. It's pretty much her usual posse, but you know it's Brazil, so I'm afraid I don't know what her usual posse <laughs> consists of. Well, You're there, have there, to illuminate for us. Yeah, there's friends, and there's a you know, um, there's a. I mean, it's a bubble of people, yeah. you know. But in Brazil, there's more security, of course. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it had to be actually, it had to be that way. Sure. You know, because. If you go to Lapa in Rio de Janeiro uh, late at night, <clears throat> it's um, everybody's out there. You know, from from uh, São Jorge to uh, you know to all the drug dealers and, and psychopaths and uh, tourists and, and soccer players and 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 people who just <laughs> you know have a very dubious kind of uh, agenda. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, some good rappers, some, uh, yeah, everyone is out there. Yeah, yeah. It's really kind of a, that kind of place where you can breathe in real wide and, and, um, as they say, yeah, <laughs> I remember first time asking somebody, well, is that a really safe place? And they said, well, if you're lucky enough. <laughs> I remember actually <laughs> kind of thing. we were talking at a festival once a few years back and I, I we were talking about this specific thing and uh about going there and this and that and you were like I'm like so like if I was just coming to travel like would I be okay and I always remember this he's like yeah yeah with like a little skepticism and then it's like but you know maybe go somewhere at about six o'clock and don't bring your laptop yeah. I'm like oh okay i get it i get it all right i'll, I'll avoid the valhalla of decadence but I'll, I'll come out during the day how long did it take you to be able to like navigate brazil and feel part of it well i mean i was pretty fanatical about it so i'd say i got on with the program pretty fast and, uh, you know, I learned with a corner of my eye to kind of oversee the situation and uh, who's around. And, you know, I guess it kind of becomes your second nature pretty fast. Um, it's also not so dangerous as they paint it. I mean, you know how it is. Devil is not so scary as they paint it, is the yeah. saying. And it, it, it's really quite far from being any kind of devil. It's just a really amazing place, and and it, and it's loose on all fronts, you know. So, just like as long as you're not being like a total moron, you know, then you should be pretty okay. You know. <laughs> so, so for Seekers and Finders, a new record. Did you record it down there? You recorded it up here. 
No, we recorded in we started recording in Washington DC and um it started kind of seamless. We just I always wanted to record in the studio where Fugazi did all their records. Did you go to uh, Inner Ear? Yes. Oh shit. So we started in Inner Ear with Don's the entire. Yeah. yeah, and uh, you know, and Ian stopped by and sometimes, you know, cool. check out what's happening and um since there was always this kind of a tender in my uh perception connection between uh fugazi and gogol bordello um uh, chiefly it's because i was my head was completely blown off my shoulders when i you know i came from i came from ukraine i mean and i was very much um my whole like punk rock taste was formed there so it was european music for the most part like um joy division and um neubauten and um in nick cave so it's australian but it's it's european mm. it wasn't that context so when i came here i was a kind of a snob you know i mean you know i was like i'm a european snob you know as far as music goes <laughs> like <laughs> and uh you know people were trying to show me like kind of black flag and i was like ah, i guess like this is kind of like you know, let's let's get something more uh, surprising in there. And then uh, somebody uh, showed me Fugazi, and I was like, "Wow! Like, what's that?" <laughs> it was just fucking amazing. It was it was like Gang of Four and Sonic Youth and Joy Division and all those things that I loved all together, and just kind of exploding in this uh, shirtless way. <laughs> you know, like with a touch of uh, this athletic kind of a. Skateboard vibe to it, sure, which sure. like was not my vibe really. And um, but then I kind of got uh, through Fugazi, I kind of got into a lot of other music and to Bad Brands and, uh, and so on, you know. So I always wanted to, um, and then eventually, seriously, like one our first tour when we were out touring, I've, I've met um, Brandon from Fugazi at Black Cat. And then next show we're playing, they see Guy turned up, and then you know, it's just like I'm, I end up me- meeting all of them, and they were like, just really kind of chiming in with what we're doing. So I was always, you know, very excited about that. So I was like, let's go and do this recording where it's kind of has the right vibe, you know, cool. where the vibe of- is not random but like kind of crystallized. You know, mm-hmm. is it the same kind of as it's always been over there, pretty much? Yeah, all those records I've, are stapled really? to the walls there, and you know, and, and the fixed bar, and you know, and, and the whole thing that, and uh, and Brandon's bell is there, I think. Oh know, wow! That. Oh really? <laughs> yeah, that's cool. <laughs> yeah, so in fact, we just recorded the song with Brandon uh, over at um, at the Sirius FM, oh, yeah. or, right? Mm-hmm. It's a surprise song for a certain project, uh, but I was pretty psyched to record with him. You know? yeah, that's that's amazing. Cool. You've recorded yeah. also with like Steve Albini, mm-hmm. Rick Rubin. I mean, you've recorded with some really amazing producers. I mean, what is every experience different or do you go to them being like, I think this would be great for this p- producer? Well, some of them fall in a place um, and um, and some of them we directly went for that particular sound that we were just kind of looking to join forces with was only with Steve Albini was like, let's go and get that kind of like a, those kind of drums and uh, that kind of beef, you know? And, and so we directly went for contact there. Everything else was really, um, at the very beginning, it was James Clavunos from, um, you know, who's a veteran of New York scene, you know, played in uh, Teenage Jesus and the Jerks and the Sonic Youth and the Cramps and now in, in, in the Cave and the Bad Seeds. So he produced our first album, which was of like tremendous importance to me. You know, I was I was literally... I was like, wow, well, I guess I didn't fall off too far from the tree, you know. <laughs> you know <laughs> just like second week in New York, <laughs> going in a bar, uh, 
and a bar 16 where this kind of underground party was taking a place. Uh, and uh, I met Jim and uh, he came to a couple of our shows very early on. And uh, he helped us to record his first record, kind of really in his studio, put it together. So I thought I was like off to a good start, you know. Um, so everyone, then Victor Van Vogt, who also, uh, you know, worked with PJ Harvey and, and the Bad Seeds. He did Super Toronto with us, that record. So that was also very much like... Um, there's a lot of shared taste in that, you know, in that particular bubble of music. Um, Rick Rubin was something that just kind of uh, fell from the sky, really. And um, I guess Tom Morello told him about us. He kind of picked him up on on, on his way. Tom picked him picked Rick up on, on his way to our show. And it's like, you got to go and see this band. Hmm. And that's how I ended up meeting Rick. Uh, so that resulted into a record. And then Andrew Sheps was Rick's uh, right-hand man on many, many records. So he did the record afterwards. Is it, is it uh, you know, working with Rick, like, after all these years, how directly, like, hands-on is Rick with, like, actually engineering and tracking and things like that. Is he there for all of it? Well, I know where you're heading with that because a lot of people did not um, get a lot of his studio time, you know, and that's kind of um, what I was kind of warned about, that it's going to be like right. this kind of like a concept uh, and we'll sort out the songs and then just kind of, then we're kind of, we'll go and work with the, with, with his team. Right. But... I have to say that that record we did with Rick, I mean, he was in the studio five days a week with us. Cool. And, um, I mean, we were incredibly pleased with all of that because there is a lot to gain. Sure. In, in not only musically, but literary as well. I mean, people oftentimes, you know, talk about Rick's uh, production values and this kind of like a monumental minimalism that he kind of brings in. But but I think he's actually just as equal of an influence is he's very well um uh, he's a very strong literary person. Mm. You know, so balancing out the words and kinda helping them to fall in the right place. We spent a lot of time kind of like I think I kind of went a little bit notch up there for sure through work with him on that level oh really yeah. too far you think huh like went too far too far i don't know if it's too far it just went somewhere else <laughs> right <laughs> you know <laughs> um i mean but it's also a very like a i'm giving you like a kind of super insight right. I, I didn't see it in, for example in a in a reviews or anything like that right right it's just kind of what i think sure. that it was help helpful to make transition from to the well-established axiom of less is more. Right, right. Because I was maybe only for time being, <laughs> <laughs> because I was always pretty much convinced that more is more. <laughs> you can tell it, tell it from our instrumentation. <laughs> and I'm still. Uh, a lot of times think that more is more. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I'm just kind of baroque that way, you know? Yeah, sure. <laughs> well, he threw a, maybe maybe he gave you a, just a hint of space that stuck. Yeah, that stuck it's okay to have some things be that way and others not. Yeah, yeah. That's pretty cool. <laughs> so I enjoyed going to that territory, you know? Definitely. I, um, you know, obviously Gogo Bordello, it's kind of described a lot as gypsy punk. Um, do you like that term? Do you not like it? Well, I made it up. You made it up. So I mean, it's like not it. a. They are just simply using um, a, a title of our album, with Steve Albini, to describe it. Because when we appeared in, in a musical sense, like as I'm saying, in my perception, no wonder that like we work with 
say, James Clavunas and Victor Van Vogt because it was sort of in that land of character-driven music that's mm-hmm. like kind of coming from that kind of uh, strong front man and, uh, you know, and then everyone in the band is a also strong character. Right, <laughs> sure. Kind of land, you know. <laughs> um, but it was not so obvious to other people, maybe. Mm. And uh, so... The, the the reviews that I was reading at the time, I just could see that all the journalists they were completely unequipped to 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 say anything about our music because mm. I have no idea where to put it. And uh, in a way, I kind of had to um, give them a helping hand because I I I didn't want it to be described in some kind of strange and that kind of unappealing ways or something like mm-hmm. that like, as some kind of a klezmer dub you know some flamenco freakaholic World jazz music. you know but you know it's just was because it's not what it is it's it's really essentially rock and roll music just from our point of view right yeah. you know uh, it's interesting that you know someone from the states would have no reference to it, or very little reference to it. Very little they reference. Really, really went to look for it. So I can I see. Mean, I mean, actually, in the states, yes. But for example, like um, people who were living in New York, who were from Germany or France or Italy, who came to our shows, they were like, "Man, that sounds like uh, gypsy right. music." You know, they just knew it right they away. It, you right. know, it's kind of like it's got that like uh, it's got that A minor um, tragedy comedy to it you know and this kind of persevering melancholy and um i was like yeah yeah i mean it's in europe it's a lot more um understandable sure you know so i just kind of used the magic of idiomatic translation (laughs) (laughs) i first heard about you guys through well merch i was at a warp tour and you played like a one-off i think it might have been in ventura but it was. I just saw. I just saw people just wearing sweatshirts that said Gogo Bordello, and mm-hmm. I was like, "This is the best damn merch." What? Where the hell is this band? <laughs> and then someone said, "Oh, they're they're phenomenal live. They're amazing live." They had no idea the sound, knew nothing about it. And I was like, "Well, I'll go check them out." Mm-hmm. And floored, floored by your performance. Oh, thank you. Because it's Warp Tour, so depending on the time slot, it's going to be you know a hundred people or less. You know, and it was you know you did the. The job a band's supposed to do, you know, play to 10 people the way if it's a stadium. And there was plenty more than that to see you guys because word was out. But I was just knocked out by the show. That was an exceptionally good warp tour. Um, Tim Armstrong was there with the transplants. And I think even Public Enemy was there. Uh, we didn't cross path with them. They like, we only did like two weeks. Mm-hmm. But there was a lot of uh, a really cool vibe for that time. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I mean, we had to get to know our American listener, you know, and get into the Midwest one way or another. (laughs) (laughs) Was that, that, I mean, how did that go in the Midwest with your band? Surprisingly, surprisingly okay. Okay. (laughs) You know, I mean, um, it was kind of a beginning of, that kind of um, experience we have with people where, I mean, I guess it was kind of a beginning of our grassroots kind of a following, you know, because a lot of bands, let's say, there's kind of route of touring and the bands just kind of go and they don't obscure from it too far. But those places were kind of obscure, you know, and as a, as a consequence of that, going to these places that are more obscure. I think we got, I mean, we had pretty massive fan base all over the place, you know, so it doesn't have to be like a inner city on a Friday night for a place to be sold out. It can be quite obscure on Monday or Tuesday night. And it'll be still some thousands of people there. You know, so that's kind of cool. <laughs> I think people undervalue that with touring. You know, they they, they keep grinding in these a markets and it's like until you crack chicago you haven't cracked this when you could have played four or five shows in a city an hour south of chicago and pretty much like everyone in that town 
is yours now, you know? And like, and people forget for some reason because of what you said. And I think it's getting harder and harder with like, you know, Live Nation and House of Blues literally like fixing tours and controlling tours inside of their, mm-hmm. their umbrella and less and less it's harder to get out to these places in these different cities. And I wish bands kind of addressed in their model more than they do now, you know? And obviously work for you guys. Yeah, I mean, it, it is a it is an, an effort. Yeah. You know, and that's why a lot of musicians hate touring, you know. <laughs> Don't like effort. Uh, I, I, well, it, it can get, if you are in a, you know, I think that we kind of figured out our little key to it, uh, which is essentially really in the performance itself, mm. which is so cathartic and kind of, uh, it's a quite a great. It's just the biggest payoff, really, for all of it. Is is really that experience of practically teleporting yourself pretty far the fuck out. Yeah, <laughs> I wanted to talk about that. Actually, you know? I, I heard you talk about that with your shows. How it's like tries to harvest this almost transcendental experience, like while you're there, not only for you but for the crowd, and like so. When you're on stage almost trying, is it like creating an illusion or is it just being so true to yourselves that it's that unique that it takes things out of it? It's almost like in order to achieve transcendence, Mm -hmm. how much of it is performance art? How much of it is music? How much of it is showmanship? Like, like what's the cocktail there? Wow. Well, this is like, um, you know. Um, the thing is that it can start from any given point. It, you know, I mean, it can start from your own accessing your own traumas and overcoming them. It can start from your own catharsis. It can come from getting into a character and still activating just as much of, um, uh, energy out of character. Mm-hmm. So, in my personal like world, all those elements are present, you know, and you can dig into your own performance from very many different sides. You know, it can start as bravado and uh, deteriorate into existential <laughs> squeal, <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> <Yeah>. existential rage. <laughs> Or it can start on uh, the other way around. You know, it's not really important. I think what's important is that um, I think what's important is achieving that frequency and altering the vibration and being able to lead people onto that onto that with you. Mm-hmm. So it becomes like a, a shared experience, right? And uh, a shared experience that's very tangible. So to the point where just about anything that you're doing seems to be uh, (laughs) appropriate. (laughs) 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 And just any of their reactions (laughs) seem to be also quite appropriate. And nothing like that can be found on on a street, you know. and also it can be quite traumatic if it's just like in a, in a, in a daily life because the kind of a thing that surrounds it all in this protective bubble is actual vibration of music. Mm-hmm. So, so many times I found myself like I, I'd watch some kind of a clip or a video from, from a show and I feel like I'm frightened to watch what I'm going to do. Hmm. But there's zero fear at the moment. Right. Right. You know, and um, I think there is something, the air kind of around you just has a different quality. Somehow it supports you. Uh, and uh, and this kind of collective vibration also supports you. Hmm. You know, I mean, just like so, some of the diving and all that kind of stuff is kind of, you know, <laughs> can be pretty detrimental and daily life (laughs) (laughs) 
Now, but how- in even in interaction with people, I mean, you you don't really see like, you know, uh, you know, the eyes when eyes are sparkling and mm-hmm. thousands of them, is something else is going on. Yeah, you know, it's like you don't really see people reaching out to each other with that type of intensity and throwing their uh, chakra energies at you. It's true, and that kind of exchange and and vice versa. You yeah. don't see it in the real life, um, almost anywhere. Right. I mean, nowhere. Maybe in Amazon where people are doing ayahuasca or, you know, <laughs> and, uh, or other rituals of that type are similar. But in our society, I think this is like the closest it gets to it probably, hmm. you know. A truly shared experience. Yeah, I mean, I mean there's of course uh, other things that, like sports, but it's just a different thing. I mean, Sex. I don't, I don't relate to that. Well, that, but this, you know, uh, look at the mass of people you're experiencing here. It's just I'm that sorry, much you've horsepower. Never here. had sex with a thousand people, Eugene. <laughs> you should try it. <laughs> it's incredible. Uh, I think he's saying that he, uh, that he has. Well, essentially, <laughs> in a way. Essentially, it is, of course, in that land, you know, but of, of energy. I mean, it's Dionysian. Right. Yeah. It's probably the closest. We're basically talking about Dionysian experience, you know, and uh, how far can that stretch, really? Well, it can. But it's important to talk about, especially now. I mean, I think so much of the validation of musicians is based on either money mm-hmm. or your personal validation, like how many people are enjoying your product or enjoying what right, you put right. out there. And, like, if more people could sort of... It's something that's taken me a while to wrap my head around and I'm still not sure what to do with it. But the idea that like a positive show and a positive experience emanates beyond that show, Mm -hmm. you know, like, do you, you truly believe like this is happening? Like, Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, it's, we're living in a particularly sad, um, sad kind of a cut of time as far as that goes. Sure. Uh, it's, it's probably gonna, it's gonna have to bounce back to, um, appreciating the the actual source and and the origin of what people are enjoying hope so you know it has to i mean it can't (laughs) go like this for much longer that's so funny you say that because i have going back to fugazi uh i grew up down there and one of my good friends uh, good friends with ian we have Uh a lot of mutual friend stuff and he said that uh around 9 11 ian mckay was like i just i can't watch the news anymore i gotta go i gotta start listening to music and going back into more music and all that kind of stuff. And I think it's exactly what you're saying. You know, have to pull yourself away from it and... Well, it's... I think it's... That that thing you were bringing up is, is relevant to, like... You know, sometimes... You, you know, you've heard of that kind of... Uh, what is the name of that uh, scientific experiment where they will have, like... You know, a couple hundred people meditating in a city. So, so in order to bring down the crime level. Oh. Like that type of thing, you okay. know, and how it actually brings the crime level down hmm. because because the vibration raises. And you can also do that by putting in blue light bulbs. That uh, there's many <laughs> other things, but that's like pretty um, pretty effective, you know. Hmm. And I think art and music is in the same zone with that. It's you know just because like you know I'm uh, you know. Tinder sticks are not playing Madison Square Garden. It doesn't mean that their vibe is not going into our world. Right. You know, their their incredibly tender and beautiful music is still having that effect. You know. And is it even possible at at that point? Like in which, at what point is it too difficult an experience to curate with too many people? You know, like can that experience come out of a stadium show? Like when someone is literally, yeah. you know, 500 yards away from the source of the... Yeah, that's that's a whole another conversation for sure. But, but I think as long as we're human species that are designed in such a way, approximately like us, <laughs> that, uh, you know, we're, we, that have a uniqueness. I mean, every psyche is unique. And therefore, to celebrate your own psyche... And, uh, and and so you have to um, celebrate the idea that there has to be unique other psyches, right? So that's sort of 
you, you know, you can't really, uh, therefore, probably live on, on a cookie cutter uh, type of art and mm. um, just this conveyor made, uh, you know, phenomena kind of music. It's true. What do you think would happen if Donald Trump did psychedelics? Do you think that would like change the worldview? Do you think like those kinds of people would be opened up to new possibilities, or do you think some people just? I have no idea. Yeah, <clears throat> I mean, I don't know. Um, I mean, you should probably ask like Graham. Uh, what is his name? Oh, Hancock. Graham Hancock, yeah, <coughs> yeah. and uh, David Wilcock. Yeah, they're pretty good at that type they're of jazz. Very good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a massive fan of both, you know. But, yeah. But uh, especially of David, probably. Yeah. More so. Um. I mean, we. It's all. It's all. It's all. Yeah. It's law of one. We are all one psyche. So. There is no really any kind of separation. Yeah. I guess you know? it's hard to feel that connectedness sometimes. I mean, it's hard. It's very hard, but it's there. <laughs> well, it's funny. What, what you say is almost part of the, the intrinsic problem in like a Donald Trump is you said you have to recognize the fact that each psyche is unique and each psyche deserves its own space and its own joy. And people like Donald Trump and some of his friends, they do truly believe that they are unique species oh. to earth they actually believe that they are physiologically better equipped to, to handle our society Absolutely. oh they're into eugenics and he's a narcissist are, and they have the what's the thing in religion the prosperity i look at brad all oh, right the everything. joel Osteen thing <laughs> Yeah, like, 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 be like, like you'll be rich because yeah, God wants me to be rich. Right. It seems antithetical to the idea, to the guy they're talking about. But anyway. What are they going to do with all the Jewish gold, man? <laughs> they put it somewhere. They built Steven. the Vatican with it. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Can't yeah. just all live in Switzerland. It's got to go to work. <laughs> they can't live in Switzerland. That went there, there's Antarctica. Antarctica. Yeah, yeah, there's Beautiful. Antarctica. Oh, it's gorgeous I was curious, you know, you spent seven years outside of the country and came back, which, ha have you seen, like, a tangible change from the time you left to the, t to the time you've been back? Literally, I mean, you left, like, in the middle of an Obama administration. Yeah. And where things felt, I mean, at least to me, felt different. Yeah. To now, like, did you see from seven years and that time lapse like a a tangible change or it seemed kind of the same to you i mean the thing is that i'm kind of i think i'm kind of just maybe because i have a thicker skin for it because you know, i was born and raised in soviet union so i'm not so prone to like react right away sure um, i mean i react in a different way I mean, I was reading uh, this biography of um, just something came to my attention of this Swedish prime, this Swedish um, minister who was like heavily involved with in Swedish uh, missions into Africa and Latin America during World World War II and was like on all these affairs in World War II, right? Mm. And his father was like prime minister of Sweden. It's a long Scandinavian name. I couldn't memorize it um but <laughs> what struck me is that in his autobiography there was nothing about world war ii huh. not the one of one single mansion or about any of these other uh, that his father was involved with this thing <laughs> and i was like it was all about his internal affairs huh. it was all about his introspection and time that how he felt at the time and what he was writing and so, you see what I'm saying? That is just a completely different way. I felt like there's some affinity I found in that. Huh. It's not that he was not involved. I mean, he was there. Yeah, yeah. He was doing all that. It's just when it came time to write out a biography, he like... Deemed it unimportant. He was talking about completely something else. Yeah. And uh, something about it I found like, kind of relevant for myself you know i just huh. didn't feel like it's so necessary 
like to get involved with every panic on every corner. Yeah. Like maybe that's really not, maybe that's just kind of adds to a general frustration and fuego, you know? Sure. And, 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 uh, maybe that's just not really a role of an artist necessarily to react as a politician would. Yeah. Or, or a social uh, activist would. Maybe the role of an artist, uh, Actually, not maybe, I'm quite certain. It's about warming up the perception of warming up the heart and uh, kind of coming from intuition point of view. Yeah. You know, so it's a different facility altogether. I agree with that. I'm pretty. I'm getting pretty sick on Twitter of my favorite artists and comedians not talking about music or comedy anymore. What's interesting, I just read this Taylor Swift review where the reviewer was mad that she didn't talk about politics more. Really? Yeah, because she's like, she's this big platform and it's sort of like, I just, people want to project what they believe on other right. stuff. Yeah, too. of course. Yeah, I of saw course. Someone and it's make just such a low denominator to latch on to, you know. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I, I had heard It's so someone... comfortable, you know. Oh, you know, those guys are left and those guys are right. And, right. You know, and it's like, are they? You know, <laughs> and and you're right. And the place as a musician is maybe in in neither. I mean, there there are certain people who are so involved. Like, yeah, I want to listen to Tom Morello talk about politics. Sure, you know what I mean. I'll listen to you know certain people, but when like the singer of a pop punk band is giving me like a hundred thirty nine character, you know really strong take on like the afghani war or something i'm like shut the fuck up man <laughs> like like i don't believe you know that much i don't believe that you even have the that's capability the thing. A to lot intellectualize of it, is, that's it the in thing. This a lot capacity. of it is just really ill-informed exactly you know, to and kind of like um uh, to to rap on those topics, you got to do your homework right and, and mm-hmm. i have not done my homework right you know i'm just kind of like I'm not that guy. I'm like, I'm this guy. Have you, do you enjoy the acting stuff too? Is that something you still do that a lot or is that um, whatever comes up? It's kind of like whatever comes up. Yeah. And really ever thought, the thing is that I thought that I can do that in my sleep. Like everybody was in my family was always just kind of thinking that I'm just going to, I'm like doomed to be an actor. And uh, so when several of these things happened, you know, I thought, oh, well, there, there I come, you know, I mean, just like, you know, they're just like they all said, you know, but, but do I want to be in the front of camera kind of um, saying lines? Oh, really? Um, I have a directorial kind of mind. So uh, f- for, and that kind of, um, I would see myself more interested in, like, if you're asking, am I interested in that? Like, I'd be more interested in directing films, you know, than acting. But if some, once again, if something great and and uh, kind of that's gonna steer me up in a certain way comes up, yeah, I'll be a game. Yeah. I'm not opposed to it, but uh, I don't. I don't really. Also, I don't really like the lifestyle. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you, you got to wake up at five in the morning. <laughs> I mean, come on, yo. <laughs> and, uh, you know, they work very long hours. Most of it is waiting uh-huh. and the waiting and waiting and waiting. And it's so tedious. Yeah. Stand uh, here. Say it again. Now we're going to move the camera. Say it again. Now we're going to move the light. Say it and, again. And, you know, and plus, I'm even tell- I haven't even had like the best experience. I've had the best experience because uh, they loved me. <laughs> so I got away with everything. Like I, I never got any sleep. I didn't know my lines, and uh, you know I was not there five in the morning. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, you know, and I still thought it was pretty tedious. <laughs> so imagine if you're doing it like on a grid and with the crew and being on best behavior. Man, no, mo- no wonder they get paid such a big, big bucks. <laughs> it's all about the discipline yeah it's a lot of work man how do you kind of decide what i mean you must have so many like music and film and different kind of projects come at you how do you decide what's something you want to pursue do you know immediately or what kind of draws you to a project um yeah i guess there i guess there's some kind of like a spinal reflex like if see if my spine is gonna vibrate and 
say yes or no, you know, something like that. Nothing really beyond that. Um, It's instinctual, kind of? It's very instinctual, and uh, as you can tell pretty much um, from our music, it's very instinctual. It's just like the epicenter of all those activities. In a way, it's all one one same crater of a, a similar activity, you know? I mean, I was never really interested in just playing music. Like, who cares about that, you know? I mean, there are people who care about that, yes. <laughs> but I don't care about that. You know, like, I wanted to, like, uh, you know, get a story like Johnny Cash, but, like, tell it like Iggy Pop, you know? Like, <laughs> that's what I wanted to do. Like, <laughs> and, uh, and, and, you know, and have, uh, you know, and have costumes and, and, uh, and an orchestra behind me helping me along and you know and hopefully perfume too you know and so on and so forth and so that is just this kind of alchemic idea of it all so when it gets like narrowed down to like oh it's just going to be a film so it's almost kind of like eh, okay it's going to be a film <laughs> you know it's like <laughs> it's kind of like a such a narrow idea compared to like what I actually usually do that it's hardly ever more exciting. <laughs> how, about <laughs> how, how about theater? Uh, same thing with the theater. Yeah? Yeah. Have you done theater? Yeah. But I, did, really I just didn't difficult. pursue those things, you know, because um, the band kind of took off on time for me to just kind of to focus sleep on in. that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's other things, you know, I, I really loved DJing for like a certain amount of my life. I even went on tour as a DJ. And I got to hear you DJ in Chinatown. Someone took me to said, I heard about this guy. It's yeah. great. And we went and, it was, and I liked it because I didn't know any of the songs. Yeah. And that was, was my specialty. <laughs> and it was great. Have everyone have, go bananas and still not recognize even one single song. Had, that really, that, that had an effect on me. I had so much fun. And I was like, I don't know. Oh, it's great. Thanks. Great. It was a lot of fun. What Maybe, kind of music? Just all over the place? All over the place. Oh, yeah. Uh, tempos would drop it was great maybe you <laughs> could illuminate on something i heard about i i don't think it was appropriately named what the person said it but they said to ask about the bulgarian bug juice that used to go around these parties i guess there was some <laughs> an alcohol of some sort that was yeah do you can you can you inform me of what this beverage was or no, you don't want to know. Is <laughs> <laughs> it Demerol? Bulgarian bug juice. Yeah, I mean, it's something of dubious quality. I, mean, I always brought my own, bo- my own bottle to wine. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> that was my survival secret. <laughs> Still at the spin records. Yeah, you know, I always came with a few bottles of Rioja. Yeah, uh, <laughs> couldn't handle it. Or didn't want to. It's too much. What's in that stuff? I gotta know. It's like quaaludes to me now. It's some like mystical thing I can never do, and I'm curious. Yeah, you know, I mean, the place is just has really dubious aesthetic, and yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if they would have like medieval torture device in the middle of the <laughs> dance floor there. You know, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I was. I was just kind of, I was a DJ, yeah, not yeah. the ambience coordinator. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute. It's not the same thing? <laughs> yes, it is. Sonically. Right. Sonic ambience coordinator. Now, yes. when, when, when you DJ, did you uh, still use records or did you graduate to like the Serato kind of stuff? And the Man, when I, I, it's hard to imagine this, you know, because I play acoustic classical guitar and I, you know, I, but... It was in the in like you know two thousand the turn of the century time. I was like the most digital guy. I was like completely on top of. I was DJing from like mini discs, like before <laughs> anybody even knew what it, what it was. Like in nineteen ninety eight, probably already. Hmm. And uh, I had my operations so figured out. I carried like a, a printer and a and a laptop and like I could uh, during the one DJ gig. I I would get another offer to the after hour, after party after our place, and immediately make a, a flyer and uh, give uh, 
a, some girl who who was at that party, like a bunch of these flyers, give her a hundred bucks and say, hey, can you please go and hit Max Fish and a couple other places and tell people yeah. that at 4.30 I, I will be there. <laughs> you know? That's pretty gangster, man. Yeah, wow. it was, I had it like, all good. figured out. Yeah. So, and then, of course, when was Twitter when I needed it? You know? <laughs> then by the time I came, came around, I was already like, oh, I already did this whole fucking thing. You know? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> like I did this old school, man. Yeah, and, um, and then I kind of actually lost my interest in DJing. Hmm. Um, only, only special. Actually, tonight I'm DJing, but uh, actually I have to go. Do you there. need a printer? I have to, actually, I have to go get there soon. Let's get you a printer. <laughs> yeah. no. <laughs> no, this one is uh, on. You know, this oh, one is that? on it's... digital media. <laughs> you just I, uh, bring your own flash drive. <laughs> yeah. Between like the DJing and then just the story of Google getting together, I mean, I find it so fascinating that you guys met in New York. Mm-hmm. You know, from like all these parts of the world in New York, like how unique is your story to New York? Like, could this, could it have birthed anywhere else? I don't think so. Yeah. I don't think so. Uh, there is a slight chance, maybe Toronto. Okay. Because of uh, their incredibly uh, wide, you know, like whole mix right. of foreigners. Sure, and sure. also the kind of a very friendly accepting uh ethic that's going on just just about anywhere there so i think that's the only like place in the world i encountered that was similar like that Mm. you know um yeah i mean here i i didn't really have to do much to gather the band of like characters i was looking for you know it's like either i would get an opportunity to meet one or somebody would just come to the to the party quite soon hmm. and uh, that was entire idea of the band is just kind of like have this like a um a gang that's where we're the kind of like a jim jarmusch movie <laughs> you know where you cool. don't really need the script all that much right. once you get tom waits and john lurie and <laughs> benini together it's like <laughs> Uh, all these guys are in jail together, so now they're running away. That's like, that's. Now uh, let's see what's going to happen now. <laughs> was and, it like, was it like your concept that brought all these people in, or was it like this gaggle of people that created the bordello? Um, I, um, I think that everyone who's in the band is an incredibly important part of it, and even some passing members also had pretty tremendous impact. Um, I mean, of course, I'll always remain to, you know, kind of, I mean, I write all the songs, right? you know, but, and people kind of gathered in the band on that notion that it, that we will be playing the songs and stories that I tell, mm-hmm. you know, but, um, I think that, you know, it's, it's, uh, to a point of like, um, when I bring the songs to the band, like when start making new record, you know, it's just kind of like this. It's like this thing, but it becomes that thing, mm, right? <laughs> only when everybody chimes in. Sure. And even if you would have one session player, say somebody will sit in to replace one of the members, it's already not that. It's already already not vibe. Vibe is not there already. Hmm. It needs to be like the that vibe needs to be achieved again, you know. And because we kind of uh, developed our own school of arrangement, you know, um, people members of the band they kind of have a very specific approach where they seem to know their way around it quite well. Yeah, you know, so. It, there's a big collective psyche there, you know, and which is I really I really enjoy that. Oftentimes during sound check and just put my guitar down, go on to take a seat and watch and be like, "Wow, hmm. that's some band, yo." <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much to Eugene Hutz for coming by. Um, you can check out. Gogo Bordello's new record, Seekers and Finders, out now. I also wanted to thank uh, Ray, 
uh, Eugene's publicist for helping make this interview happen. Wanted to thank uh, Stephen Grawalski and everyone at Pulse Music for letting us use their beautiful space. Want to thank everyone who's donated. Uh, once again, if you want to donate, you can go to Venmo.com slash off track. Donate. Brad's name will come up. You can donate that way, or you can go to our website, goingtrack.com. I think I should say too, because it may be confusing. The, my name comes up. It's not my account. This is this is the off track account. It's right. It's just that I, it's the you know the bank account is it goes through me. So yeah, no, it's that's really what I'm saying. Confirmation. But yeah, I think you get a note like Brad. Like I think you know it comes up. Yeah, it says my name after you go to off track. Right. So yeah, I'm gonna be clear. Yes, Jonah gets his cut. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. I, jo- I joke about that a lot, but no, I think just logistically that's how it's set up. Yeah, yeah, I just yeah. want to, I, I, I just want, I'm saying that more so like people are like, who's this guy? Like, who's Brad? Yeah, yeah, no, I no. I want it to be clear that they're at the right place just okay. in case I want somebody to open a, you know, an on track account. Right. Smart. <laughs> yeah, do not do that. And maybe we should do that. Yeah, we should get all the. Yeah. Who is that? There was some company that, oh, it was like, 1-800-MATTRESS or something back in the day when, you know, you did everything with 800 numbers. They bought, like, every 800 number that was, like, a misspelling of mattress as well. Just so they no way that people would have to, like, dial twice. This is something that I've wondered about. <laughs> and maybe you'll be able to answer this. This is a very weird question. You know how, like, when you buy a domain, like, you're like, I want to buy breadworld.com, yeah. let's say. How, like, how does that work? Because, like, so what, like, how does someone, someone already owns that and they're selling it to you? Or like, how, like, why do you have to pay someone? Like, I don't. Well, like, if it's unique, like, if it's unique, you know, if you're the first one yeah. to come up with the idea, then uh, it's just a registration fee because there's a there's an organization I think it's called ICANN, I C A N N or something, and they essentially it's kind of they're tasked with just sort of tracking these these n- names. Yeah, it kind of doesn't make sense. Like, why should it cost anything, right? Yeah, why should it cost anything? Yeah. Like, I'm not sure what the fee goes. I'm like, oh, so and you a- own every combination of letters? Like, why am I paying you? Yeah, I should know the answer to this. And I kind of do. And it is that there's, the, there is this kind of organization that's essentially, ta- you know, I guess theoretically what happens is that fee. Well, and the weird part is, is that like, there's a lot of different companies that are, that can sell you like in other words, any company can sell you the same right, name. Exactly, exactly. So, That's what they, I'm saying. And there are different rates for it too. Right. You know, you'll pay one rate at, at one place. GoDaddy or whatever. Yeah. And so, um, but yeah, it all essentially goes back to this organization that is that tracks and keeps track of, and they also have the power to like release new ones, you know, new dot dot names like you know you have dot dot com dot org, or whatever so they like every so often they're gonna be like okay we're gonna do dot nyc right and people right. can buy that um yeah i don't i don't totally understand the whole all the mechanics of the internet but it is it also i mean it does seem like it, it's not a ton of money you, know, you pay like what like you may pay like 12 or 14 dollars a year to, for that domain right but yeah it's essentially ones and zeros it's kind of free right so it seems high yeah, but I think it would be the speculation would be even worse if it wasn't f- fairly high because otherwise because you know what happened at one point back in like the aughts there was some investment firm that went through and bought literally every single combination of two words or maybe even three words that was left that hadn't been registered so they literally just made a random word generator that picked every combination of like one or two of two words together and they bought them all just to speculate so they could then like sell. yeah it's smart it's a lot of money it's a pain in the ass yes because thankfully they didn't get three words and they would have got going off track oh my god can you imagine Mm. we'd be at goingofftrackpodcast.com i guarantee you they were not (laughs) buying up podcast urls uh yeah, maybe as a bonus episode to our hardcore listeners, we could do Tech Talk with Brad, where I just ask questions that I've been wondering about. Let's do it. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, thank you to everyone for donating, um, or anyone who's left us a review on iTunes, or anyone who has supported Going Off Track. Thanks to Eugene for coming by, and yeah, we'll be back with another episode next week. We what? We will? Will we? We will, man. We will? Definitely. Okay. Guaranteed. Cool. See you then.
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.